we but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedelian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Thanks, as always, for joining me here on Shining Stars. It has been said that experience builds knowledge, and my guest today is a precise example of that notion. When we experience difficulties in life, it can sometimes lead towards a path of destruction. However, today's guest made a conscientious effort to channel her difficult experiences towards creation, and it also provided her the knowledge necessary to become an advocate for social justice. The systemic hang-ups and roadblocks that she experienced also provided her with the skills that were needed to develop effective collaborations between communities. I'm pleased to say that she is a lifelong resident of Lansing with a BA in journalism, a master's degree in business administration, and she is currently working towards another master's in pastoral studies. Her ambition to serve in the best interests of Lansing residents prompted her to run for Lansing City Council twice, and she is the publisher of the Chronicle News, which is also connected to a podcast that she hosts, and that is called the Sunday Chronicle. It's a program dedicated to compelling talk, uplifting stories, and inspiration from across the Lansing region. On top of all that, she is also the founder of a local nonprofit known as the Lansing Catalyst, an organization that connects people with resources to help facilitate change. And her name is Yanis Jackson. Hi, Yanis. Hi, how are you doing? I am doing good. Thank you so much for coming in here and uh, talking with me a little bit. We, of course, met when you were writing an article connected to LCC Connect for for your newspaper. Yes, just uh, a few weeks ago, yes. And then you happened to mention the fact that you were a part of the Lansing Catalyst, not only a part of it, but a founder as well. Yes. And I kind of got interested. I was like, I did not know enough about the organization to even know that it existed. Yes. Which meant that I definitely wanted to have you in after we got to talking about what you do because I wanted to help you get the word out about the Lansing Catalyst. So let's get started. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, you are welcome. Let's get started by talking a little bit about the mission and uh, what it is that you're trying to do with the uh, Lansing Catalyst. Okay. So the Lansing Catalyst is a nonprofit organization, 501c3, and it was created by yours truly in 2017. So all the framework was in place when I originally started it. It was, you know, all the you know, or not LLC, but, you know, just going through and getting all the dotting the I's and crossing the T's Mm -hmm. as far as the framework. And I didn't really know what the niche or the focus of it would be. So I kind of sat on it for a while and I would do things here and there, but I didn't have a specific focus. So time went on and I kind of put it on the shelf, still having this organization. I said, you know, one day I'm going to do something with that. And um, in 2020 Mm -hmm. is when I really uh, dedicated myself to that nonprofit and the work. 
and I had... Um, I'm, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess here. It's because you had a little extra downtime like everybody else. Yes, I, I did. I did. Um, I, <laughs> Whether you wanted it or not, I, you got some downtime. I, I, too, was part of what I like to call the great pause. Yes. And so at that time, I, I had a moment to catch my breath, slow down, and think about some of the things that would help ground me. And I started to tap back into my creative side mm-hmm. because um, I would say for so many years, I was just so business centered. I was, I want to say I was almost like a, on autopilot, more of, you know, I'm earning a living. I'm doing things to uh, make sure that I'm taking care of my family. And I, you know, I would like to say that I volunteer to an extent, but in the height of COVID and race relations uh, coming to a peak at that time and the tension, I said, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Like, really, honestly, I was very angry. Um, And I said, well, I have a choice now, kind Mm -hmm. of this fork in the road. I can be destructive or I can create something. Okay. And so I started writing again. I started to dive back into um, writing for my newspaper and serving and connecting people with resources and information mm-hmm. so uh, they could be more productive, right? And I ended up writing this, um, I like to call it a word po- poem or a, it was like a, a speech. And it talked about race relations and it talked about working together and what we needed as far as equal housing, equal mm-hmm. education, fair wages. Through that, I call that the blueprint for progress. It addressed so many things. And in that, that's when I started to shift my focus back to that nonprofit, the Lansing Catalyst. And if you think about what a catalyst is, catalyst is a change agent. It's something in the engine that gets things Pushes going. that change. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it pushes that change. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do through my organization. So at that time, I then applied for the tax-exempt status, right, because okay. it was already a, a nonprofit. But I wanted to make sure that if when people contributed to this organization that they could, you know, write off, it makes it more attractive, write it off on their taxes and, and, and such. And I had a family friend come along and said that they could help me. I'm like, okay. I started to raise money for the unhoused population. So that's kind of where it started. The person that came in to help me, they made a donation to the organization and um, helped me raise a, a significant amount of money. And so what I started to do was get supplies and things for people that were in need and the unhoused us people in, in different encampments and things like that around town. In that, I also started to work getting food out. I found ways to get food at no cost, reduced cost. And I knew that there was a shortage of food at the time, or at least um, it's, it was difficult at that time with, with so many things. So we, yeah. so we started to focus. I started to focus on food access because I knew what you eat, how you eat, and what you have access to can change your entire world. And that can put you in survival mode and having access to fresh, healthy foods can take you out of that. You know, mm-hmm. It can help with medical problems, with mental health, and so on. And so I dove into 
uh, you know, I would give food out at uh, different places, community centers, ask if people needed food. I would put it on Facebook. And that started to be the focus of the organization, food access for the greater Lansing area, not just any type of food, but fresh, healthy food. So the food that I would give out would be meats and and different things. And it started to catch on and I got a buzz, you know, around town about what I was doing. It started to grow and and I got interviewed on uh, different shows. Uh, What's the one with Bob Hoffman? Um, Good Neighbors. Good Neighbors, yes. Yes. It almost sounds like that's not like what you originally intended it to be. Is Am I understanding you correctly or yeah, not? Yeah, I think in the beginning I was going after more of, I was thinking about all the programs that I could house inside of this organization, right? So my vision was to work on different areas as far as social justice goes and, sure. and, and equity. And, and um, I found that that was kind of my niche as far as, you know, the food. I couldn't do too much. I didn't want to have too broad of a focus in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And since my father, um, you know, he passed on every year around Christmas, he would do like a huge food drive and he would help people get food. And I kind of see where it kind of, it came from that and, mm-hmm. and seeing my father and then it didn't even dawn on me until later. I'm like, oh, this is why I'm giving out food. And this is why I do food uh, drives and distributions and they're, you know, getting bigger. This is part of his dream that continued. And so with that, I mean, we do the food access and peace, but we also connect people with different resources. So I partner with other nonprofits. If someone comes to me and asks me for something, say it might be something for their kids or some activities, then I would refer them to maybe the Village Lansing or Mm -hmm. a different organization that I partner with to help them get those resources. So it is dedicated to helping people move forward in equity helping people getting access to the resources and information they need to be their most productive self. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of how it started. I hope I didn't ramble on too but much. But has, has, has it become more of a broader scope now, though, as you've gone? Uh, yes, it has a little bit more, like, uh, because I have a background in um, greenhouse landscaping, horticulture. Mm-hmm. And so what I would like to do as I grow the organization, uh, we are moving into the center. It's uh, actually the Advancement Corporation Community Center, which is formerly the old Otto Middle School. And so okay, yeah. the Advancement Corporation is restoring this building step by step. But there are parts of the building that are accessible. They are finished. Our plan is to move the Lansing Catalyst into a physical space, but not only be in that space, but to utilize the gardening space, the community gardening space, and teach classes on how to grow and pick and cook fresh foods, fresh fruits and vegetables. Also preparing food and things like that. I'd like to be able to talk to people about gardening and how it can change things, how it can help you save money, how it can help you improve your health, Mm -hmm. how it helps us to be empowered and take control over what's going on as far as as our bodies and what we're putting in them. So that's what I I desire to to pass on, you know, to help people with food access and in-food deserts. So with a food desert, If I'm housed in an area that I am more than two miles away from a grocery store with fresh fruit and food, then that would be a food desert. And Mm -hmm. because most people don't, I mean, not everyone has a car to get 
Certainly. more than two miles. And so that's what I keep in mind as I developed or as we develop this nonprofit organization. So yes, the focus is broader. So it's not just giving out food. So that's the first step. And then the next step is to get the buy-in, see who wants to participate and learn more on not only how to receive the food, but to produce the food Mm -hmm. and to teach others how to produce and to empower community through working together. Well, it sounds like the food aspect would have been a part of it no matter what, given your father's kind of in, yeah. uh, in, uh, is it inherited, I guess. you. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's kind of like a legacy thing it like is with the of. newspaper and, and media and all of that kind of passed down. So that's like the nonprofit arm, I guess, of, uh, of my organization or, you know, it, it's connected to everything I do. Everything is connected. The newspaper, the talk show, the nonprofit, it's all meant to help empower people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, we, as people, I think we, we, I know we do a lot more together mm-hmm. than we do apart. And so that's what it's designed to do. These organizations, these things that I am working on building with others, it's not just me, sure. but it's something to help us to come out of these silos yeah. and to start creating a bridge and a gap. Yes. Or, or, bridging, me, a bridge, yes, bridge, exactly. Gap the bridge. Yes. Bridge the gap. Bridging, bridge the gap. Bridging the gap in community. <laughs> right. right? Yep. That was my campaign slogan. Okay. Right? And, and that's what I am working to do. I, I um, had that campaign slogan in 2019. And so with that, that's really my life work. That is what I'm dedicating myself to with the nonprofit again and with the newspaper, with the website, with the talk show. These are things I want to be accessible to the community. Right. So that's why I have a community newspaper. So you don't have to be a millionaire rock star to be in it. I put in people that I would consider the greater Lansing's millionaire rock stars, the regular, you know, everyday working person or community. Yes, our community. And that's what it's my desire to bring the community together and closer together. What brings us together? What makes us a unit? How can we relate to each other? So to to bring a focus to more on the togetherness and recognizing that everybody is important. Yes. And, and that's what I desire to do with all my platforms. Very good. It sounds like your father was a huge influence on kind of the things you do now. And I would imagine he's kind of helped you define what you believe a positive change is. What do you feel like it is? And how does, how does what you're doing fit into that definition? Well, positive change is something that helps bring out the potential in others. Mm-hmm. I feel that... Positive change, that is something that I desire to fill my time with. So the more time that I serve, the more time that I build, the less time that I have to focus on things that are not productive, things that are destructive, things that really don't uh, pertain to me or things that don't fit as part of my moral values and I would say lifestyle. So Mm. that's what I would say positive change is focusing on work that will bring out the best in yourself and others. Again, going back to that uh, notion of everybody is important and everybody has value. So yes, and everyone deserves a seat at the table. They do. They do. I completely agree. Yes. Everyone and a voice in the room. So (laughs) uh, let me ask you this. Well, 
And it doesn't even have to be a part of the Lansing Catalyst, but was there ever a point in your life where you just realized, like a, like a situation, a moment, where you realized how much of a difference you were making in somebody else's life or be it a, in another organization? Yes. I realized that when I have interactions with people, I do food drops and food distributions and I'll go to different places and drop off fresh meats and different things. I had a bunch of food from Whole Foods, ground beef, all kind of nice cuts of meat. And I was putting them out on the food stand in the refrigerator at the fledge. And a lady came up and she said, oh my gosh, I'm so, so good to meet you. And she gave me a hug. She was like, I remember seeing you on the news. And I'm like, oh really? And she mm-hmm. says, thank you for bringing this because. That was the the good neighbors segment that she saw you on or, um, or just, not, or just I'm something sure. else. Yeah, somewhere it was else. something I might've been on. Or <laughs> you just randomly popped up. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was, it could have been in, in regards to my nonprofit or something. Okay. okay. And that, and that might've been okay. uh, what it was and it could have been good neighbors, but yeah, she's like, I, I, I thank you for bringing this food because I was able to make meatloaf. I haven't made meatloaf in over 10 years. Hmm. And so I said, wow. You know, and I said that to myself. I said, that really feels good. And I don't have to, like, make a post on Facebook about it. I don't have to show people, like, I did this, you know, because um, there was something that I got in that moment, and I'll take with me, and I'll keep it. And, you know, I don't have to, you know, announce those types of things to feel better or to get validation because it happened in that moment in the actions that I took and the reaction that was made in regards to the actions. (laughs) Yes, I understand what you're saying. And a lot of the times I feel like when I ask that, people don't really want to say anything because they feel like they're bragging about it. But my thing is, is you have to keep those moments alive in your mind to remind yourself, you know, when you, cause, cause everybody gets down from time to time. It just yeah. happens. Yeah. And those are the moments where you got to remember, yeah, I am making a difference. I'm changing things. I'm doing what I can from my end with the ability and the power that I have. I'm doing what I can. Yes. I and mean, that's important to me. How about the, uh, the Lansing catalyst itself? Can you tell me a little bit about some of the accomplishments that you've had so far beyond what you've already expressed? Um, uh, Cause you've already had a number of things that you've laid out. Well, we've helped to feed a lot of families in the greater Lansing area. Uh, just this past, um, this past holiday, we had a food drive and distribution. We partnered annually with uh, Young of Owasso. We also had sponsorship from Shaheen Chevrolet, uh, MSU FCU. I don't want to forget anybody. You worked with another nonprofit on that one too, didn't you? <laughs> yes, Men Making a Difference. I and so we had a dual site food distribution, mm-hmm. food and essentials. So we got donations, we got monetary donations, items, food items, and we had two separate distributions, one on the south side that was um, overseen by Men Making a Difference, and then there was one on the north side at the Advancement Corporation Community Center, which I managed, and we had several items there from fresh foods, fresh meats, side items. We also had toys for uh, kids and survival or essential packs with with different 
items in it, but we were able to purchase items and get items donated to approximately 550 families. And I go on the count of the units of meat we gave out. Mm -hmm. So we bought so much between the two of our organizations and handed that out to approximately, well, not 550 families that day, but that's how much we purchased. That's how many units of meat that we gave away during the distributions, the two, the dual sites. So that's how we kind of. Very cool. Very cool. I would imagine it brings you a lot of joy, but I always like to step a little bit beyond the main reason that we're talking about, you know, because we're talking about the Lansing Catalyst. So outside of the work you do with the Lansing Catalyst, what else brings you joy in life? My kids. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a fairly common answer. Yeah, it's understandable. I, I love my, my children. I mean, they breathe a whole new breath of life into me, you know, when they were born. And they make me want to do better and make a better place for them and their friends and, and their family. And and so that ties into everything that I'm doing, you know, everything I'm here for. I'm very mission focused. And the, my kids, my family. Boy, girl. Both. I have one boy, one girl, so okay. I'm done. All right. All right. All right. Well, I'm, I'm retired. Nothing wrong with your retired, retired parent. I'm, I'm retired. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Either one of them remind you of you at all? Yes, both of them. Is, is that good or bad? Um, or a little bit of both? I'd say it's insane. a little bit of both because yeah. my mom used to say, you know what, Giannis? You're going to have a daughter and she's going to be just like, like you. you. <laughs> and she did, look, and even one better, I have a daughter and a son that are just like me. So I, I, not to dive into me too much, make the show all about me, but I am the middle child and I was always the best behaved of the three of us. And there was a day where my, my mom, you know, she's, you know, I was messing with her, just joking around. And I, I said, sure, go ahead. Wish, wish a child just like me on me. Mm -hmm. And she goes, nope. You're going to have a child just like your little brother. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's dirty. That's dirty. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. In his defense, he's a good guy. But it was one of those things where I was like, oh, he was the bad behavior. Well, I mean, one. you know, it's siblings. You know, you have that sibling rivalry. <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of the way it works. Uh, do you believe that positivity, because we've been talking a little bit about it, do you believe it's more of a natural trait? Is it something that we kind of learn as we go? What do you think? Oh, I think that positivity is definitely something that we uh, should work on. I mean, I, I think that for me, it's been something that I've, I've had to see life from a different perspective. I've had to shift focus, especially in a time like now. I mean, there's a lot of things that I could focus on that are negative, but I, I practice positivity because it's I think it's contagious I also think it makes me feel better you know on the inside on the outside Mm -hmm. it helps me to get up out of bed that's what keeps me going you know I could choose to look at the world negatively but how much would I how much more would I get done if I look at life from a positive perspective so it, it, it gives me fuel to go further I think I am, for the most part, very uh, pleasant person to be around. So, yeah, positivity. Pass it on. I found you pretty pleasant to be around. Uh, You you got anything that you do to pick you up when you get down? Um, I like karaoke. Yeah. I like to sing. I like to write. I'm actually writing a book. It's my goal to finish it before this week's up, but we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah, it's... 
pretty much done. Yeah, I'm just um, proud. I'm in the editing and shifting phase, so other people outside of me can understand what it means. Is that something <laughs> you like always like writing? Is that always something you've done since yes. you were a kid? Yeah, since I was I was younger, I wrote. It started off with like little poems and stuff, yeah. and I'd rhyme and I'd do um, acronyms for my name. I'd spell it out, and Y is this, A is this, N is this, and so I just played with words and I guess you could call me a wordsmith but I, I started a long like a long time ago I went through a lot of like writing classes and uh, English literature journalism um, but yeah that is something that really speaks to my soul and I use it as an outlet and rediscovering that part of myself in 2020 really helped me to refocus on who I am as a person and not so much just the day to day and I got to get this, I got to do that. I had time again to take take time out to explore me. And mm -hmm. that's what I do through writing. It's very healing. I think it's uh, a good way for me to uh, communicate with others because I can shape the way things are, the way they come out, the way they are projected to others. Time just went right out the door with talking to you. <laughs> I just looked up and realized how much we've been talking. Okay. We, oh, we're going to cut me off in two minutes. Uh, we're going to we're gonna have, to, we're gonna have to wrap it up here pretty okay. soon. Okay. But I do not want to leave this conversation without at least taking a moment to ask you, do you work with volunteers at your organization and do you accept donations? Yes, we okay. do accept donations. Well, how, how do people get to know more about the Lansing Catalyst and where, where do they go? What do they do? You can visit the Lansing Catalyst website, our official website is uh, thelansingcatalyst.org. You can also visit us on Facebook, The Lansing Catalyst, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Okay. <laughs> so okay. you can find out a little bit more about us there. We also have like some different media videos and, and such. But yeah, you can leave us a message on the website or send us a message uh, via social media. Um, you can look me up also, Giannis Yvette, <laughs> on Facebook and, and, and shoot me a message. And that's how you can get a hold of me. And I'd love to have some volunteers. We do a uh, food drive and food distribution. And soon we'll be moving into gardening, uh, community gardening and, and such and, and horticulture and let people know so they can reach out. Very anytime. good. And if you're listening to the radio version, uh, radio version of this, uh, we will actually have it up on the podcast platform, lccconnect.org or .com, either way. And I will have a lot of that information in the show notes for you. So you can always check it out that way to uh, find out more about Yanis Jackson and the Lansing Catalyst. I am actually bummed that we've got to call this quits, oh. but it's just got to happen. <laughs> well, we had a great time. And we did. We time. did. And I thank you very much for coming in and talking with me a little bit. And I thank you so much for all the great work you do. My pleasure. Before we completely get out of here, though, we've got one final question that I ask of every single Shining Stars guest. Are you okay. ready for it? I'm ready. If you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought into the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what? What would that thought be? It would be that we're better together. Better together? We're better together. Better together. Yeah. That's good. That's a good thought. <laughs> Yannis, snap your fingers. Make it happen. <laughs> Remember. We can all contribute something good to this world. No matter how big or how small. A simple smile or a friendly gesture is all it takes to expand positivity one inch further. 
Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The LCC Library empowers the Lansing community to learn, teach, and discover. Located on the second and third floors of the Technology and Learning Center at the corner of Capitol and Shiawassee on LCC's downtown campus, the LCC Library's ambient spaces are available to the public for work, study, or quiet personal projects. In addition, those with memberships at collaborating libraries are free to check out materials from the LCC Library's collections. For more information, visit lcc.edu library. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We're celebrating one year of LCC Connect, Lansing Community College's first podcast platform dedicated to keeping you connected with LCC and your community. Catch the vibe by visiting us at lccconnect.org and then click on the Celebrate tab to check out photos, videos, and find out how you can get involved. We are LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC Galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. In this episode, we're exploring learning and working in aviation maintenance and what it means for the Lansing area and beyond that LCC has a top-notch aviation maintenance technology program. I'm so pleased to welcome our guest today, Nicole Noel-Williams, who is the president and CEO of the Capital Region Airport Authority. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. 
and from LCC, we have two guests. We have Mark Bathurst, who is the director of LCC's Aviation Maintenance Technology Program. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. It's great to be here. And Leah Dank, who is a second-year student in the Aviation Maintenance Technology Program and one of eight women to be graduating in 2023. Welcome, Leah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So before we jump into the big picture of what LCC's program is all about and the community impact, Leah, I want to start with you and ask you, what drew you to this program? Um, so I went through the Wilson Talent Center's ground school program because initially I thought I wanted to become a pilot and I decided being a pilot wasn't for me. So I decided to switch over to maintenance because that seemed a little more interesting and up my alley. And I'm from Mason, so I knew about the airport and LCC's aviation maintenance program. So what is it about maintenance that is interesting to you? Because when people think of aviation, I bet a whole lot of people who think about aviation careers are thinking about piloting that plane or somehow being on the plane. But I'm really intrigued what drew you into maintenance. I really like working with my hands. (laughs) So um, being able to wrench on an engine or rivet aircraft structure really, I think that's what drew me as opposed to the more technical piloting side. And I like working with systems and troubleshooting, like what stuff's going wrong. So I think that's what drew me. That Those are important interests, I think, in order to do what you're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why I would think the troubleshooting is, is crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to just share, I was recently tuned into the Artemis launch, which is uh, uh, and talk about troubleshooting and what it takes to get this launch to the moon um, that's going to stay up there for for some significant amount of time. It's impressive. So people who have jobs like you're aspiring to are so crucial for the successful operation and, you know, kind of make the world go around and make the planes fly. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for doing that. So what, Mark, do people learn in the aviation maintenance technology program in terms of making the planes fly and tell us about a little bit about what and how uh, and how our program runs. Sure. So the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, starts with the basic structure of the program. They tell us what we teach, um, the levels of proficiency our students need to achieve, how many hours we spend on a various subject. We teach from front to back, top to bottom of everything about an airplane. And the reason we do that is because our students, when they leave as graduates, will go possibly to airlines, they may go to manufacturing, they may go to repair facilities, they may go to a component repair or manufacturing facility. So we don't know where our students are going to go, so we have to teach them everything. Um, And by everything, I mean everything. Every part of an airplane, and Leah can tell you whether it's the control surfaces on the back of the wing or the tail, whether it's the engines, whether it's the cockpit, all of the cables that fly or the pilots use to fly, everything about an airplane, Leah knows by the time she graduates. Subsequent to graduation, our students sit for a series of examinations with the FAA, totally separate from what we teach, um, and they're evaluated on their knowledge and their skill. So our job is to make sure not only do they know everything that we need them to, to know, but that they can successfully pass their licensure process with the FAA. Upon completion of that, they're awarded what's called an airframe and power plant license. It's a federal license, which means it's good anywhere in the United States. In fact, we have students working overseas. 
Whereas if you go to nursing school in Michigan and then transfer to Ohio, you have to become relicensed depending on reciprocity. With the FAA license being a federal license, you go to school in Michigan, you can work in California or vice versa, which gives our students great transferability of skills because the majority of our students who graduate do not stay in the state of Michigan. So they're out there in the career field, uh, productively working on airplanes, manufacturing components or engines or airplanes or repairing them. And um, Lee is a good example of someone who's doing exceptionally well in the program and will have her choice of probably six or seven different job offers, excuse me, job offers by the time she graduates. That's incredibly impressive. It is. Yeah, Yeah, I think every student would like to be in that position. (laughs) I've heard that about our program that, and about aviation maintenance technology, that it's in huge demand. Yeah. Not only is it in huge demand, but the salaries now are significant. Our students are going to be looking at a starting salary of $60,000 a year or more after two years in our program. And then there'll be things like bonuses and profit sharing, relocation allowance, tool allowances, all the inducements that an employer needs to have for a student to come, a graduate, to come and work for them are out there in the career field right now. It's phenomenal. That's, that's it's a incredible. great place to be. Yeah. yeah. So, Nicole, I heard Mark say that, that a lot of our students don't stay right in this area or in Michigan, and yet there's a, an impact, a very positive impact of the kind of the synergy between the aviation maintenance technology program and the Capital Region Airport Authority that manages not only our our, our public, well, both our airports, the, the Mason-Jewett right. Airport. So tell us a little bit about that impact and, and what it means to the Capital Region Airport Authority in our community. Yeah, the, as you said, the Airport Authority actually owns and operates the Capital Region International Airport here in Lansing, but we also manage Mason-Jewett, which is where LCC's uh, program is, is held. But graduates, coming out. And I believe right now you've got what 89 students that are, are going through the program today. And as those students are coming out, there's a lot of opportunities, as Mark mentioned, for them to stay in the airline industry, to look at the aerospace opportunities. And, and aerospace in the state of Michigan continues to grow. There's a lot of mm-hmm. opportunities as students continue to graduate and come out as, as the state of Michigan's working on attracting these aerospace manufacturers into the state of Michigan. We hope to create even further opportunities. But we've got companies that are actually maintaining and and housing maintenance uh, facilities and operations at the Lansing Airport today. So if you think of uh, UPS that operates in and out of Lansing, they have tiered suppliers that are helping to support them with smaller aircrafts. And we actually have maintenance bases here where there's mechanics that are here to help provide some additional support for that equipment and um, just standard checkups that are necessary. But they're located right here in Lansing. We also have and FBO, which is a fixed space operator, and they provide support for corporate general aviation charter flights in and out. But they're also a resource when um, there is a an owner of an aircraft that needs some maintenance done to it. So those those types of features are here and available right at Lansing. That's great. What about at uh, so at, at Mason Jewett Airport, where LCC's program is mm-hmm. is located? Um, are there similar facilities, or how, how does that work there? There is some mechanic facilities and additional flight training opportunities down in Mason as well. So it's it's beneficial for us in this entire region that we're, we have this demand that's here, but we're also creating opportunities, um, or LCC is creating these opportunities for the students to go basically anywhere in the world. That's incredible. Do you think, Leah, you will go further afield? Do you have any idea, or is it a little too soon to tell? I was actually just talking to our coordinator about just kind of what my thoughts are, and I'm really open to anything. 
I'd like to try to stay in the Midwest, but if not, then definitely like Denver. But I've also looked abroad internationally at what opportunities are out there because I think that would be really fun as well. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, so Mark, tell us a little bit about the facility. Um, I've had the pleasure of seeing it, and it's pretty amazing. And I hear it's expanding. So, you know, if you and Nicole can talk a little about the airport facility and the school, what students get to work in and on, that would be great. Sure. So... We have a 20,000-square-foot hangar training facility at the Mason-Jewett Airport. We're the largest tenant in terms of square footage at the airport. As, as you pointed out, as Nicole pointed out, we've got about 89 students in the program right now. We're at capacity. Our classrooms can accommodate more. Our training uh, areas out in the hangar can accommodate more. So by virtue of the fact that we've been really successful not only in attracting but retaining students through this program, the college has committed at some point in the future to an expansion. So we're looking at an additional hangar, um, and Nicole's folks have been very accommodating to work with us because, as she said, the Capital Region Airport Authority owns and operates the airport. We're a tenant at the airport. So in working with, with the Capital Region Airport Authority, uh, what we've decided is we'd like to double the size of a new hangar, 40,000 square feet. We can accommodate all of the equipment that we currently have stored in various other hangars at the airport property, uh, increase the class size, and teach some other things that we can't do now because, again, of the, of the size limitations. So this is a growing program. There's a huge demand out there. And one of the things that we think is, is really important is to provide our students with a top-notch, first-class training facility. Uh, well-maintained. Um, my advisory board was in uh, Mason last night at our facility, and there's folks from Delta and other repair facilities and manufacturers from all over the state. And to a person, they're very excited about the fact that we have the opportunity to expand and have been very supportive of that because uh, they're the ones who are the consumers, if you will, of, of our output, which are graduates. And they're very familiar with the program. Uh, very supportive, as I said. So we're, we're really excited about the opportunity. And again, we appreciate Nicole's assistance in making sure that we've got the land available as well as the approval authority available through uh, what's called an FAA airport layout plan to make sure that, that that space is there and has been memorialized for us to use. Was that a challenge to accomplish, Nicole? Oh, no. no. Um, you know, I'm a very proud LCC grad, and so I couldn't be uh, more honored to to continue to partner and work with LCC, especially in an area that we're talking about. There is a demand, there is a need for it, and it's going to continue to grow. So we need to make sure that we're helping to provide whatever support we can so they can continue to educate the future in the aviation industry. That's that's wonderful. So an LCC grad, yes. wonderful. What yeah. uh, what was Long your time focus? Ago. <laughs> what was your focus when you were here? You know, that's uh, kind of an interesting story. Originally, I was coming to be a dental hygienist, and I ended up meeting an another great program here, a yeah. fantastic program here. And I ended up meeting an instructor teaching uh, airport management uh, back when there was a hospitality yeah. uh, program uh, many moons ago. And that interaction that I had with a professor in the hallway just kind of drew me in to take a class. So I took the class and totally changed the trajectory of my career. I mean, I started out loading and loading planes and de-icing aircrafts um, wow. in my career. Yeah. That's that's great. Another, you know, on the ground yeah. person, yep. um, which I'm going to jump to a question that sort of leads me to something that I was thinking about in technical fields in general. They're generally 
more male employees than than women mm-hmm. um, in a whole lot of fields uh, in the the STEM area and the sciences and technology. Leah, how has that experience been for you? It's definitely interesting. Again, like my bio said, in my class there's an AM and a PM, so I'm in the AM. Um, in my class there are but uh, four, including myself, women. Um, so out of twenty people. Four of us are women. So it's just definitely very interesting. The dynamic, I'm sure, is yeah. is different. Um, you know, I would, would, would venture to say that there there should be a lot of mutual respect, one would hope. <laughs> but I know, you know, the dynamics are different. And I imagine that is hopefully not a challenge. No, I wouldn't say it's a challenge. Um, I definitely feel myself wanting to prove myself a lot more. Um, and I definitely feel compelled to work harder to prove myself and doing good on labs and on tests then my male counterparts kind of creates a nice little competition sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yes. it's of very co- welcome. Clearly yeah. you are accomplishing that. You're sitting here. Yep. You were chosen to do that. So, I mean, Nicole, wouldn't you say women, not all, but I think there's, there's as you aspire to be in fields where there aren't as many women, there's this proving ground. Mm-hmm. Well, there's over, what, 220 uh, uh, public airports in the state of Michigan, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of those, there's 18 that have scheduled passenger service that is um, offered in them. I am the only female CEO in the state of Michigan for those airports, for the 18 Mm. Um, They have commercial passenger service. And it's a bit of a transition that has occurred over the last few years. And so I'm even, you know, work with other women CEOs across the United States, which is a a small group of us, um, small saying based off of what Airports Council International membership um, in the United States, their member CEO is uh, less than 60 um, and I think right around uh, 18 in Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure there's more outside of that membership group, but it's a very small group, and it's interesting. And as we look at the next few years, we're going to have a lot of the baby boomers that are going to be retiring, and, and many got into aviation from coming out of the military. And um, from their military career, coming back to the United States, getting involved in operations of airports, and then moving into leadership roles and um, we'll see a bit of a transition, I think, in the next, you know, three to five years. Will there be a lot of airport CEO positions that will be transitioning to new leadership? So it does create opportunities for women and minorities to get involved and engaged in areas that traditionally um, hasn't been uh, filled by, by those groups. Right. That, that makes, makes a lot of sense. And I think as people from those groups see other people in those groups achieving that kind of leadership or work position, then they may be more inclined to see the opening for themselves, um, the possibility for themselves. I know you were you received an Athena Award, uh, Distinguished Athena Award, and Athena is a, a leadership organization. Mm-hmm. And so as a leader, that's part of your role is to be out there and um, whatever it is that you're, you're leading, you're presenting that as a possibility for others to um, follow in your footsteps. So that's, that's a really important, important role. And yeah. as, a, as a point of reference, I've been with LCC seven years. Before that, I was an airline pilot for a number of years, and before that, was a pilot in the Air Force. When I started flying in the Air Force, women were not allowed to be pilots. Really? By law. They couldn't be a pilot. Hmm. Um, that barrier was broken down in the mid-'70s, and you rarely saw women working on the flight line as mechanics. Um, transferring to the airlines, almost the same situation. 
not by law, but just by virtue of the fact that aviation has traditionally been in all facets a male-dominated um, career field. So the fact that we have a number of women in our program, I think, speaks highly to the fact that it is opening up. And I think that diversity and inclusion are incredibly important to have the perspective um, in any career field. And so it's exciting for us that folks like Leah, women like Leah, want to be a career uh, mechanic uh, working on airplanes, whether it be in manufacturing or repair or the airlines. Um, that's exciting. That really is because it's taken a long time to get there. But I think we're, as Nicole was saying, uh, there's going to be more and more and more, and that's exciting. That's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about the, the different perspective because that's, you know, by opening things up, that is Everybody benefits, and we know that. Sometimes the transition is hard, but everybody does benefit in the long run, and the, the field and the safety and the all of that is going to improve as a result of having those those different perspectives. So I want to go back to the program itself for a minute, and Mark, there's something um, that I'm interested in asking about, and that is what it means to be a partnered aviation maintenance school with Delta. That's that's kind of a big deal, isn't it? It was a big deal. Um, Delta looked, this is a number of years ago, five, six, seven years ago, looked out at their workforce, their mechanic workforce, and calculated that if everybody retired the day they were first eligible, Delta would shut down. Oh. Because it was a, a legacy workforce, aging. We had been through uh, 9-11 and then 2008-2009 recession. And a number of their older, more experienced employees took retirement, left the career field, whatever. So Delta said, how are we going to find mechanics for the future? We have to fund, in effect, the future. And they looked at the military, where there's not a whole lot of people coming out now, other sources, and they said, you know, there's a great untapped source of talent, maybe not experience, but talent, sitting in these aviation schools. There's 187 in the United States, five in the state of Michigan. So Delta went out and surveyed almost all of the schools. They selected 45 out of that 187. We were really proud to be one of the 45 selected. And what it meant was they came and spent an entire day evaluating our facilities, regulatory compliance, safety compliance, all the things that they do, they expected us to do. Um, They went back, ran the numbers, and said, this is a school that we feel comfortable putting our name on. So they created this partnership program, which is mutually beneficial. We receive the training programs that their mechanics use. Eventually, our students will be able to use those. They give us parts, whether they be failed, broken parts, or something that they don't need anymore. And in exchange, our students receive preferential interviews and hiring with either Delta or their regional partners, Nice. uh, the types of airlines that fly at the Lansing Airport. And a Delta mechanic, after eight years, is going to be earning over $100,000 a year. Wow. And our That's prog- impressive. Our, yeah, it is. It, it, when you consider for the folks who live in the, in the local area, uh, the cost of the program is $27,000 all in, except for room and board, um, to have that kind of payback. And with an airline um, as, as well known as Delta is a huge opportunity for our students. How do you get into the aviation maintenance program, Leah? Was the uh, application process challenging? No, it wasn't too bad. Um, just apply and Mindy got in contact with the coordinator and we set up kind of not an interview but just a like she gave me a tour of the facilities and we sat down and we also discussed like how many credits it would take to get my general education associate's degree if you wanted to add on with the certificates you get and you're doing that as yeah. well right mm-hmm. yeah so 
That's pretty much it. So there's the the application. It's not a selection process. It's more, is there room? Then you can take the students. LCC is an open enrollment school, which means that we take all comers. And so what we've done is the the program is designed to start at a very basic level. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of our students don't know how to read a ruler. They don't know the difference between a Phillips and a flathead screwdriver. And we start with those basic concepts, build on that so that the entire program builds on what you've done previously. And um, so at capacity, then we basically create a wait list and uh, the students start once a year in August and graduate two years later in August. And with the, the new facility down the road, you'll be able to take more students. We, we would hope to at least double the double. footprint. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. That's great. One other question for you, Leah, in terms of what you're learning, is there anything in particular that you've found especially fascinating and or challenging or both? Um, So right now, actually, we're breaking down engines. So we broke them down toward the beginning of the semester and then cleaned everything. And then now we're building them back up. And it is equal parts fascinating and frustrating. Like some days I just want to like, I don't know, throw it across the room. (laughs) (laughs) Throw the engine across? It's kind of big, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but you know. Um, So yeah, that's probably been one of my favorite parts of the course so far, I'd say. But we cover so much from welding to engines to structural repair. So it's we get a lot of good experience. And what Leah didn't say was that they have to make the engine run that they've torn yeah. apart and rebuilt. <laughs> so it's not just a question of taking it apart and putting it back together. We put it back on an airplane, take it outside on the ramp, and they have to make it run. Yeah. Part of the graduation process is a, a running engine. Definitely. If it doesn't run, you know, what good are you? That's right. (laughs) What good is it? Then we're back to troubleshooting. That's Mm -hmm. right. Definitely. So I know uh, LCC's program has been around almost as long as the college, I think. And so it's, uh, of course, as you've described the industry briefly, it's gone through a lot of changes with with the industry. I'd, I'd like to hear just a little bit from each of you, you know, as we kind of wrap things up. What do you Besides the expansion of the facility, what do you see in the future, Nicole, for for the program and, and for what it means for not only the Capital Region Airport Authority, but for the for community the yeah. Yeah, and the industry? <clears throat> well, first off, thank you for, for highlighting this, because I think what we hear on the mainline news is about pilot shortage, pilot shortage, pilot shortage. But we're not talking about this area that's being trained right here in our backyard. And we're bringing these students, getting them successfully through the program. And now they're out in the workforce. As Mark mentioned, we were talking about situations where airlines would have to close because we don't have enough mechanics to keep the day-to-day operation going. So this is such an important piece and an important partnership for the Capital Region Airport Authority. And we look forward to partnering them with with any future growth, any future training and technology that may be put in place. Um, So we're excited about that. Oh, that's great. How about you, Mark? Yeah, so um, one of the things that we're looking at is what does the industry look like 10, 20, 30 years from now? You're seeing that airlines are talking to manufacturers of electric airplanes small, maybe four or five passenger airplanes, the, what they call urban mobility airplanes, take off from the skyscraper in New York, fly out to um, the Hamptons or whatever the case may be, or from Boston out to Provincetown or wherever. So that's something that we're, we're thinking about, is what, how do we have a role in that? Um, the construction materials, as Leah mentioned, uh, we're getting away from metal and going to composites. Composite repair is a big deal. We teach extensively composite repairs because we know that's where the industry's headed. Autonomous airplanes, whether it be 
from a passenger standpoint or an operation standpoint, certainly something for Nicole to consider is you have airplanes with people flying them and maybe airplanes probably maybe on the freight side to start that aren't having pilots on wow. the airplane. So wow. how, do you, how do you integrate that? <laughs> so there's all sorts of new opportunities for us. Uh, we're, we're continually looking at what do we need to do next? And I think that's that's exciting for us. Very exciting. And Leah, you can have the last 30 seconds to a minute. Your future is just right on the horizon. What excites you the most? I think uh, getting out of Michigan in the cold <laughs> will be very <laughs> exciting. Um, but also, I think I'm looking forward to see how the LCC maintenance program will be able to grow and change over the years and to, you know, I obviously I'm getting a very wonderful education, but to see that even just blow what I'm doing out of proportion, I think that'll be really awesome to see in the future. That's wonderful. Well, I'll be excited to see where you land initially <laughs> and where you take off from. So thank you. This is a great conversation, and, and I am really pleased that we have th this program at LCC and that we're able to, to talk about it. As you said, Nicole, the focus is so often on things like pilot shortages and, you know, different airline mergers. That's what people who think of aviation and think about most. But uh, making the planes fly and doing it all safely is crucial. None of that would be an issue if we didn't have these maintenance professionals. So thank you all for being guests on the program today. Nicole Noel-Williams with the Capital Region Airport Authority, Mark Bathurst, our Director of Aviation Maintenance Technology, and Leah Dink, who is a student currently in the program at LCC. It's, it's been a real pleasure. And thank you all for tuning in to listen to other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming, visit lccconnect.org. Special thanks to our technical producer today, Dedalian Lowry, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship, offering graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. The scholarship offers 65 credits over the course of four years from high school graduation. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, 
vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.